So Doug asked me to fill in, and I'm thinking, well, what would be good to do here that would be somewhat in step with what he's been doing in Hebrews? And so I thought about it, and I thought about it, and I thought, you know, and I came up with something, and I figured I'll tell you a true story that happened to me that relates to the book of Hebrews, and we'll see, we'll see if all that makes sense to you. Um, the challenge, as you see in the uh, directory there, is how do you govern in your own life with some rules that are positive, that make you want to do right, that, that you kind of live by, that are good for you, they're good for your family, they're good for your community. I want you to put your thinking caps on and think a little bit. What would those rules be that would be good for me, for my family, for my community? Right? And the rules should be good now, and they should be good into the future. And they should be good no matter if I'm in the U.S., or if I'm in Holland, or if I'm in Bonaire. The rules should, should just work over time and over distance. Well, the reason I thought about that is my daughter was taking, in her senior year of high school, an ethics class. And an ethics class is a class where senior high schoolers, before they go off to college, they're teaching what's really, what are the ways to govern yourself? What's right for you to do and not right for you to do? And in the U.S., that's become a challenge because there's liberal thought and there's conservative thought, right? So my daughter in the class kept saying, well, wait a minute, that's not the way my family did it. Um, and they would look at her like, well, where are you guys from? Because what they were teaching was something that we call situational ethics. Situational ethics, the teaching is that, well, it kind of depends. The way you're going to react or what you're going to think or say or the way you're going to treat somebody depends on the circumstances and the situation. So it's going to maybe change. Over time, over distance, things may be very different for how to act there than how to act in another place. So there's really nothing really dead true that you can go by. My daughter would say, but, but we do think that there are some true things. And he goes, well, that's kind of the way people used to think, but the way we think now, everything's evolving and changing. So she calls me on the phone and she says, Dad, we're going to have a, a parent-teacher day. And I talked to my ethics teacher and he said that my dad would like to come talk to the class and explain the rules that we live by in our house. Well, could he do that? And the ethics teacher told her, well, yeah, I'll give him a half an hour because of the deal. She says, so would you do it, Dad? And I said, okay. And then I thought, what in the world am I going to tell a class full of 12th graders, seniors in high school, about ethics? Okay, so my daughter put me on the dyno, as we might think. <laughs> and I thought about it, and I thought about it. A couple of weeks went by, and I was really struggling. My challenge to you, what would you tell them? What would you tell a classroom of 12th graders ethics? So all the, on the way there, it dawned on me, I know what I'm going to tell them. And I'm going to see what happens. And so these would be rules to live by. So 
I got in front of the class, introduced myself. This is Bonnie's dad, and he's going to tell you. Okay, have any of you in the class ever told a lie? If you have, raise your hand. I didn't know what was going to happen. They all raised their hands. I said, okay, so how did that go? Because you really told something that wasn't true, and then you're trying to manipulate a situation, but now you're worried that somebody might figure it out and come along the other way and say, hey, wait a minute, that wasn't true, what you told me, blah, blah, blah. And then it's going to go back and forth, and then you maybe tell another lie to get out of the first lie. And then you're thinking, uh-oh, are my lies corresponding? You know, what's my story? How do I keep my story straight? I said, so when you told that lie, which you acknowledged, how did it end up? Good? No. Would you rather that people just tell the truth? Wouldn't you rather you just tell the truth, take the consequences? And they said, yeah. And I said, do you think that matters 10 years ago, 20 years ago, or 20 years from now? Or should people just tell the truth? They said, yeah, people should just tell the truth. I said, what about they're in China or Europe or U.S. or Russia? Does it matter? Or should they just tell the truth? Would we be better off? They agreed. And I was surprised because I thought I was going to get pushback. And then I said, okay, now let's take that into the material world. Let's steal. I said, when I was in second grade, we had those flip-up desks where you put everything in your desk. Well, a guy to the right of me and ahead of me had a beautiful red pencil. And I looked at the pencil and I thought, I really like that pencil. So when he got up on break or whatever, I reached up and I grabbed his pencil and I stuck it in my desk. And then I thought, uh-oh. Ah, I I can't give it back because then he'll think I took it. If I told him I I found your pencil and picked it up, I'd be lying. So what am I going to do? I I stole his pencil now. So I put it in my little book bag. I didn't tell anybody, and I made sure nobody was looking. I walked home that day. I still remember this. It's second grade. I'm 70 years old. It tells you the effect that it can have, right? And so I'm walking home, and I'm thinking, I can't tell my parents. If they see it, they're going to say, where'd you get that cool red pencil? So you know what I did? I went in my backyard, I dug a hole, and I buried it. But I didn't forget that I was stuck. When I took it, I felt bad inside, and I couldn't get over that. And I had no way out, because I did it. And I didn't want to admit, so I was stuck. You guys ever had an, a, a, a deal like that where you stole something? And they raised their hands again. I thought, okay, did it go well for you? Because it didn't go well for me. And they said, no, it didn't. I said, would the world be a better place if we didn't steal? No matter if we're little or big, or no matter if we're in China or the U.S., and no matter when. It's just be better for our community. And they agreed. I said, okay, well... Let's take it another step further. Let's combine some of these things. Let's take a wedding vows. You you vow to be true to your spouse. And you're married to your spouse, and you made a promise to your spouse. And then pretty soon, you see another person, and you commit adultery. I said, 
do you think that ever happens? And they raised their hands and they said, yeah. And I said, how did that go between those families? Was it heartbreak? Was it good or was it bad? They said it was bad. I said, would it have been better if they hadn't done that? If they had just maintained their vows or if, if they couldn't get along, perhaps they get divorced and go their way. But the, the whole thing of the adultery thing is, do you agree that's just not good? They agreed. And I said, does it matter where you are? Whether you're in Europe or U.S.? No, it doesn't matter. I said, okay, now let's take this one step further. Let's say that somebody is really in your way in your life and you want to get rid of them. And so you decide, I'm going to kill them to take them. That, that way they're not going to... Let's say I do something wrong and somebody sees me. i got a witness and you know that you're going to be convicted if that witness rats on you. So the solution is to take them out, ice them, as, the, as they would say in Chicago. And so that's committing pre-adulterated murder, and that's not good. And I said, what do you think happens in a community when they find out there's a murder? There's fear that goes through the community. It's not good. Would it be better if people didn't murder each other? Pre-adulterated murder? They agreed. About then, the bell rings, and uh, the, everybody jumps up, and, and out they go. And I'm still a little bit reeling at the fact that they were agreeing with me through all this. And the professor comes up as I'm kind of gathering my notes, and he goes, Rick, he goes, that was amazing. He said, where did you hear this? Where did this come from? And I said, well, I said, I was just going by the last five or six of the commandments, of the Ten Commandments. He goes, that's the Ten Commandments? I said, yeah, that's from the Ten Commandments. And my regret is that I didn't get to continue, to continue through the whole thing and do the other commandments which relate to us and God. But I didn't have time. But I went away thinking about they agreed with those rules, but yet they knew they broke them, right? Now, I've got some slides that I don't know if Ian can find. Did we ever find them, Ian? No, we didn't find them. Okay, my first slide would go up, and, and it's Doug and I sat, and we paraphrased the Ten Commandments to make them simple. And, and they are these, and they're, and they're pretty simple rules. They hear the Ten Commandments. First one, no other gods. Don't have any gods before me. Second, no idols. Idols aren't going to do you any good. They can't talk to you. The third, don't profane my name. Don't take God's name in vain. Respect his name. The fourth, take a day to rest and honor God. Exactly what we're doing right now. That's a good thing. The fifth one, honor your parents. That's kind of weird. Kind of comes in sideways, doesn't it? Honor your parents. What the heck is that? Hey, you're here because of them. They changed your diapers. They fed you. They clothed you. They put a roof over your over you. They they taught you the best they could. Honor them. That's a good thing. And then things that affect us. Don't kill. Don't commit pre-adulterated murder is the, really the way it, it's intended. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. 
And don't want other people's stuff. Don't envy. And as Doug and I talked about that one, it's really interesting because that one is what Jesus spends so much time on in Matthew 5 on the Sermon of the Mount. Don't want other people's stuff. It took me a while to figure that one out because does that mean do I not want anything? Because I do like cars and I do like this and that and so does Marcia. She likes stuff. All of us like stuff. And it's okay to have stuff because it says don't steal. What's implied in don't steal is they have stuff and you have stuff, isn't it? It's implied. Don't take their stuff. That'd be stealing. It's fine to go to a store and buy it. That's not a problem. But to envy is to look at what someone else has and want it and put yourself above them and think, I really need that more than they do. And as that starts rattling through your head, pretty soon you're going to lie or steal or do something bad, even murder them to get what they had. So it's kind of a all-encompassing thing. And when you start combining those together, that's when the, the, and this is called the Law of Moses, right? And this was written by God as a revelation. So in your, in your um, bulletin, it says the revelation. The revelation is we didn't figure those out. God did. And he came down and he wrote them out for us. And they're simple. Now, why did he do that? Three good reasons. One, God is always trying to hold down evil in our society. And if you look at our law system, you find that if you do perjury in a court of law, guess what? They'll lock you up. If you uh, steal and they catch you, they're going to lock you up. If you commit murder, that's even worse, right? So you can see the laws of our countries try to hold down evil like that. That's the first one. The second one is... It gives us a knowledge of sin. The Ten Commandments give us a knowledge of sin that we wouldn't have without it. And we'll talk about that. The third reason is one that we're going to get to today that's the most exciting. It's a guideline of how to live and reflect God's love. And we'll see that in the way Jesus answered when they asked him, what's the most important thing in the law? And so God's revelation then came to us with those three purposes, but the problem is uh, it, it was never intended to save us. It was never intended to save us, only to bring forth the knowledge of sin and push us towards a Savior, right? If, if we could turn to Psalm 53 and verse 1 through 3, uh, it's a, that's a, a special passage that meant a lot to me when Marsha and I were at a seminar and uh, the, the guy presenting, he just read Psalm 53 and I went, oh, um, you know. And so I've got it here and I'll read it to you, but if, if you'd follow along in your Bible, that would be good too. So it says this, and since I am 70, I need my glasses on. Um, it says, to the choir master... A, a mascal of David. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, doing abominable iniquity. There is none who does good. This is the part that got me. God looks down for, this is verse 2 of Psalm 53. 
God looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. Verse 3, they've all fallen away. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. And I thought, oh, I thought I was pretty good, but wow, this says that not even whatever I've done is not good. There's not even one. And as we know in Romans, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Okay? So, as we go into Scripture, we see there's about a zillion verses, but with regard to the law, my second slide, which we can't find. We don't know where Doug puts these slides. So, it's in James uh, 2.10. It says, and this one is sobering, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. Okay, so what we like to do is judge relatively. Well, I'm better than him, or he's done this, and that's worse, and 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 and, right? This says, uh uh-uh, on God's scale, not mine, God's scale, if you do one of these things, you've failed the whole test, i.e., if you've told a lie, you're a liar. You go over here. If you've stolen, me with my red pencil and lies that I've told, over here, not over there. Who's over there? The righteous. Well, how many people are over there? None. They're all over here. Why? Because even those simple rules, we can't live up to them. Um, The second verse I had here is from Romans, and it says, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. And then one of my favorite verses in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart, now why is this? Why can't we do it? As Doug tells us, we're broken. Get over it. We're broken. We're sons of Adam. Adam fell, we fell. And this verse proves it. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? That's Jeremiah 17.9. I'll say it again. The heart is deceitful above all things. Well, no wonder we tell lies. No wonder we steal. And desperately sick. Who can understand it? Think about it. If people didn't steal, we wouldn't need these. The loneliest guy in heaven is going to be a locksmith. Think about it. Can you comprehend that? You don't need a house key. You don't need a car key. Why do we need house keys and car keys? Because there are thieves. There always been, because we're broken. Well, so we're stuck. That's a problem. Um, God gave us the moral law, but we can't do it. And so that's where the gospel comes in, and that's where the third thing starts to show up in the purpose of the law. I've got to change my page without it blowing away here. Okay. So the resolution or the solution to that is we get another visit from God. So the first one he visited us, he gave us the rules that we couldn't keep to make us realize we couldn't keep it. And the second visit we get was our Christmas gift. Now God became man, was born a child in a manger, helpless, 
and innocent. And God gave us his son, who's part of the Trinity. And oh, by the way, he's God too, right? And so here God gives us his son. And interesting the way John the Baptist proclaimed as Jesus was being baptized. This is my third slide. Behold, now listen to what John the Baptist said. People can say a lot about you when you go to get baptized, right? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away some sin. No. The Lamb of God who takes away most of people's sin. The Lamb of God who takes away all the sins of the earth. That's the way John the Baptist introduced Jesus in his baptism. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That was his purpose. That's why he came to us, and that's exactly what he did. Um, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. That's pretty narrow. If if they think you're a narrow-minded Christian, say, well, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So if you want to call that narrow, blame it on him. Because it's true, there's no other wise God. That's why God doesn't want us to put any other God there. There's no other God. We're just fooling around if we think there is. Fooling ourselves. And so then our reaction to that is, of course, in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave us his only Son, that whosoever believes in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. And it goes on to say, if you don't believe in him, you're condemned already because you haven't believed in the only Son of of God. And then uh, in in Romans uh, 8, it really puts it clear relative to the law. And that's Romans 8, uh, 1 through 4. And and here it is. It's, It's a beautiful verse. And... There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Once we recognize that Jesus is who he said he is and we believe in him, now that's a whole change of heart. That's where God changes our heart from stone to flesh. And then Paul writes, with that, there's no condemnation. You're not condemned. For those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free. That's why we just sang the song. We're free. The law of spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death, the Ten Commandments. For God has done what the law, the Ten Commandments, weakened by the flesh, us who couldn't do it, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk according, not according to the flesh, but the spirit. What he's saying is, if we believe in Jesus, as he said, you'll have everlasting life. Why? Because you believed in the only son of God. And in that, the law then has no power over you. It's a change of heart. You become a new creature. In 2 Corinthians, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. 
all this is from God and through Christ, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And so they asked Jesus then, so the resolution then is, is your last bullet point. They said to him, the scribes, trying to really trick him, said, so, teacher, you know, rabbi, tell us, which of these commandments is the most important? Okay. Jesus, without hesitation, answered, you shall, this is my fourth slide. So, <laughs> sorry about that. Okay, so my fourth slide says, Jesus answered to that. So which of those ten laws is the most important? Tell us. Here he is in the synagogue with all these highly trained dudes that have been to their whatever seminary school they went to in those days. Right? And he answers. Do you guys know what he answered? It's good. It said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your with all your mind. He said, That's the greatest of these. Love God. And guess what happens when you love God? You'll love your neighbor as yourself. (laughs) Sorry. He said, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So whatever you've understood of the law and of the prophets and what they say, stand on those two things. We love God, no idol. And now it starts to make sense. The Ten Commandments now makes sense because your heart of stone is now a heart of flesh. If you love God, you're not going to have other gods before him. If you love your wife, you're not going to have others before her. If you love your neighbor, you love your neighbor. You don't want to lie to him anymore. Your want-tos change. Your want-tos change. Instead of being it for me, I'm in it for him too. I'm in it for him I want to give rather than just get. So now it makes sense. Okay, love God. No other gods before me. Okay, yeah, that's that makes sense. Don't have any idols. My name now becomes reverent automatically. Why? Because you love them. And he said, keep the Sabbath day. Keep it, keep it, take a day of rest and honor him. It feels good to do that. It's good for us to do that. We then want to do that. I didn't used to want to go to church. My mom would drag me. My fingernails were dirty. I didn't have cool clothes. But after I came to know the Lord, then I want to go be with God's people. Um, So the interesting thing is he establishes the fact that there are four vertical commandments between us and God. And it's all about relationship of us loving him. Because actually the love that comes from us to love him comes from him. It doesn't go this way ever. It comes this way. God sent the Ten Commandments, didn't he? God gave us Jesus, didn't he? We didn't dream it up. He did. So as Doug has been preaching for us, we need to reflect that love the love that comes from him, we need to reflect that in our lives to others. Do we want to lie to him? No. Do we want to steal? 
No, our want-tos changed because we became a new creation, just like Paul said. Um, therefore, as I put it, as Christians, the ten rules now become a guideline for how to conduct ourselves that's beneficial both with our walk with God and our walk with others. Not for our glory, but for His, because it's all from Him. And so the way uh, that, that Doug put that in a good sentence, which he's really good at that, the expression of your new life, living the new life that has been given to you. Like our song said this morning, it's freely given. Uh, we got it for free. We need to give it for free. How do we give it for free? We reflect his love out. We can't bottle it in. We let it flow out. Uh, and so I think that's all I have. Let's, let's, let's close in a word of prayer. Father God in heaven, we thank you that you know that we are bodies of clay. Lord, you breathed the breath of life into us. As Psalm 100 said, it is you that made us, not we ourselves. Lord, keep us ever mindful of your loving care for us and the fact that when we need you, you're there. You're there before we even think we need you. Lord, you gave us rules to live by and we couldn't do it. So you gave us a Savior, that if we believe in him and trust him, well, then you look at his righteousness, not our own, because we really don't have any righteousness to offer you. All we have is to offer you is our love for him. Lord, we thank you for this. We pray that we could uh, treasure these things in our heart, like Mary did when the angel uh, came and told her about you. She treasured those things in her heart. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.